Listen up. I won't sugarcoat it. This is the longest cold flu and allergy season we've ever seen, but we're not alone. We've got Instacart. Sure, you may be a coughing snot faucet who just wants mommy, but you're not giving up! Not when cold medicine, fragrant herbal teas, and honey shaped like bears can be delivered through Instacart in as fast as 30 minutes. Now let's go win the sick playoffs! Daddy, I just want my soup. Oh, sorry, Sport App says it'll be here in, in a few minutes. <laughs> Instacart for the win. The WTF1 Post Race Podcast. Well, he was going to do it eventually, and he's done it. Max Verstappen, three-time world champion, did it in the sprints, and then we got a Grand Prix, and it was a bit of a weird weekend in Qatar. To look back at it all, alongside myself, Harry Benjamin is the racing driver, Callan O'Keefe, uh, in between testing sessions for Formula 3. So thank you so much for making the time, Callan. Um, what did you make of Qatar? First of all, actually, weird with the whole tyre thing. Yeah, I Qatar's always a bit of a strange one, isn't it? It's one of those ones that kind of got added to the calendar. It's it's not a it's not a staple. It's not a Barcelona. It's not a place that teams have pounded around and pounded around at. And you know, obviously, its location makes it a, a very unique challenge dealing with stuff like sand. We heard that a lot. Obviously, Carlos signs coming on the radio and uh, saying his dad would feel more at home here than he does. Um, but yeah, I I, I think. I, I quite like going to these these new and unique places. I think teams with the simulation models they have, they get so good at anticipating and, and you know, using the example here currently in Barcelona for FIF3 testing, even at this level, we rock up at Barcelona, we kind of know what to expect. So it's it's quite nice to have, uh, you know, a little bit of uncertainty thrown in, a place where the, the teams and drivers don't know that well. And um, yeah, what a what an interesting weekend it was. And yeah, really looking forward to looking back at it with yourself, Harry. Yeah, well, I mean, actually, I think if it wasn't for um, the the whole tyre situation with the curbs and and the, essentially the tyres being crushed, I, th- I think I quite like the 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 track layout. Like, and I love the fact there were no support racing there because it was it was slippery. You know, there wasn't much grip being garnered in between the sessions. It really made for quite an entertaining uh, or lots of entertaining parts in the race. Um, if we go to the Grand Prix, turn one, lap one, and honestly. I was having flashbacks to 2016 Barcelona with Rosberg and Hamilton. This time, Russell and Hamilton. Hamilton put his hands up in the end and said, okay, my fault. But do you think that could have been avoided? So I I watched it back a few times. My initial actual um, analysis of the situation was that I thought it was Russell. I thought Russell, Max Steering, Lockett, understood. But then... Upon watching it back, I realized how aggressive Hamilton's initial movement was. I think it, it was one of those situations, isn't it? When you're in the car, you don't, you can, you can barely see in the mirrors in Formula One anyway. To know that Russell had a car alongside him on the inside, I think Hamilton, and we've been speaking about it on the podcast the last few weeks, haven't we? There's, there's a little bit of heat, uh, you know, creeping up in the inter-team rivalries between most teams, and especially Mercedes, obviously. The George Russell Hamilton fight is one that we've been watching with a with a keen interest, and yeah, I think it was you know it was Hamilton trying to assert that position going into turn one, and it was just a miscalculation. And yeah, you know, credit to him for holding his hands up. I do think he could have avoided that one. It was a bit clumsy from his side, but 
Yeah, again, this is <laughs> only going to be champion clumsy. No, it was it was it was a bit clumsy in terms of was it really necessary to be yeah. as assertive as it was? I don't think so. Lap, you know, lap one, turn one, you got a great start. He could have probably, and we saw it actually throughout the rest of the Grand Prix with enough momentum. If you get yourself just alongside wheel to wheel by the apex of turn one, you can hold it because then you have the inside for turn two. So I don't think it was necessary to be quite so aggressive. I think he still could have hung onto the position and, and come out on top. So yeah, maybe Clumsy's a, you know, he's he's a seven-time world champion, but he's still not perfect. He's still a human being. And it's easy for me to say sat in my hotel room in Barcelona. So yes, the Clumsy is the word I would use. And hopefully Lewis learns from it moving forward. Yeah, I think um, I, I think uh, there'll definitely be some chats, weren't there, in, in the Mercedes motor? But he did go up to him. I think they were they put a clip out, didn't they, of uh, Hamilton going up to Russell and just saying, "Sorry, my bad, man." Um, but obviously, Hamilton had the soft tire on, which gave him a better start. And I think the plan was to try and sort of utilize that for him to get ahead. But I think Russell just found himself in the middle of the track with nowhere to go at the end of the day. So uh, unfortunate racing incident that happened to happened to two teammates um talk of uh teammates um mclaren they had a rather good weekend right on track and off it setting the record in the pit lane for the fastest ever pit stop i mean look i kept saying it all weekend long you go back to bahrain and looking at mclaren and where they were like 18th and a dnf and look at them now like you wouldn't you would not believe the rate of development that car has gone through just the team as well. I mean, obviously we'll get to it later on in the podcast, but obviously the conditions weren't optimal. I mean, it's it was a really tough weekend for everyone, not just the drivers, but obviously the team members as well. Remember, they're sat in pit lane, ready to go, suits on, everything's very, very warm. To deliver that pit stop that fast under that pressure, I mean, yeah, the team's just on the up. And, and let's not forget as well, they're doing it with a rookie. You know, Lando Norris is, is basically, if, if you cut him open, he bleeds orange. So he mm-hmm. is very much McLaren through and through. But in Oscar Piastri, first year of Formula One, and the, the team just going from strength to strength. And if, if someone would have said that to me after the first race, I would have said no chance, absolutely no chance. So I don't know, you know, what's in the water at Woking where the factory is, but clearly everyone's on the up there. And you know, if if they can, I keep saying it, but if they continue like this, then um, they're on for a really, really strong end of the season. And, you know, it's not going to be the last time we see potentially both cars on the podium. Everyone, obviously, within a team celebrates success on track with the win and podiums or good result, whatever it might be. How much would they be celebrating that pit stop? I mean, because that is that is a win for, for the mechanics uh, down in the pit lane. But, you know, you don't often see them celebrated. But, that you know, bigger tyres, of course, 18 inches in, in this new um, uh, ground effect era. To, to be able to take four wheels on, four wheels off in 1.8 seconds. It's ridiculous. Inhumane. Well, I, I think the big thing for me as well is obviously, you know, we had, I, I forgive me, my memory is not great with stuff, but we had really fast pit stops in the past. And then they kind of implemented some procedural stuff, didn't they, to try and slow pit stops down a little bit in the last few years. And then they go and bang out a 1.8 second stop in the heat and kata. It's just ridiculous. And, you know, you only have to look at, for example, in the last few years, you know, it was it was a few years ago now, but you saw how much Williams were putting into their crews. They got the um, the famous printer, to come in and, and help build. He has got like and a Michael Johnson. Academy. Michael Johnson, that's yeah. the one. I always said Michael Jordan. I was like, that, that's the wrong yeah. sport there, Callan. I'm close. Yeah. yeah, yeah, Michael Johnson. Um, And they got him in and they were training the mechanics up and everyone was in, you know, amazing physical shape and they were doing all the, and all the extra money they spend on pit stops. There's so much that goes on behind the scenes because a race can be 
won or lost in the pits. And, you know, that I, it, it's incredible. I, I, when you watch it back and you watch the onboard, I can't fathom how you can have 20 odd mechanics all coordinated to be able to deliver in that. Well, yeah, less than, less than two seconds. Amazing. And, I'm I'm excited to see now where this goes with the other teams. They're going to analyze that. They're going to see what they did. They're going to understand it. And now, hey, one one point five seconds is going to come soon. Surely, within oh. the next few years. Surely, God, the pressure for a one point five second. Mad. Well, one point eight is now an official uh, new world record, um, I believe, according to Formula One. So, I mean, the only way is uh, is down in that case. Uh, <laughs> Grape off the time, McLaren. Come on. Um, you mentioned about the conditions we talked about obviously the Pirelli tire situation which made it for a really unique weekend anyway but add on to that the the heat which I don't think anybody really clocked until the end of the Grand Prix how much of a factor that had been throughout the weekend because all of our focus was on you know are these tires gonna last so it's mandatory you know they're gonna do 18 laps on one set and that's gonna make it a three stop blah 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 we had Logan Sargent complaining and having to end up retiring due to uh, just feeling unwell in the car, probably due to the heat. Esteban Ocon said he'd thrown up by lap 15 or something like that in his helmet. And I mean, I'm not a racing driver. I don't wear a helmet in a cockpit too often, but I can't imagine throwing up on lap 15 of a 57 race is going to be particularly pleasant. And you could just see the exhaustion at the end on all of the drivers. We've only just come off the back of Singapore a few weeks ago and everyone pinpoints that as one of the toughest races on a driver. Qatar's blown that out of the water, but was it too dangerous to race on? I I think we need to take into account, right, that obviously the driver should never be put in the situation of danger. But I'm also of the side that, you know, this is what these athletes are conditioned for. They are the best in the world, the most highly conditioned racing drivers there are. And, you know, it was actually interesting. Obviously, I don't, I don't condone racing when driver's safety is at risk, but seeing the drivers push themselves, seeing the levels at which they still perform at, which I found kind of inspiring is the wrong word, but it was, it was, I, I was in awe of these amazing athletes being able to deliver under those conditions in a race car is exceptional. And it's something that, you know, the attention should be brought to it. I don't think it was too dangerous to stop. I think the drivers that were feeling like we saw Sergeant retire because he was feeling unwell, that was definitely the right call for him. You can't put yourself at risk and the others at risk in a race car. But again, like I said, it was it was really interesting to see the drivers really push themselves because I don't think people at home can really appreciate how difficult it is. I mean, I can't even appreciate. I've never driven a Formula One car, but I've driven a, a high level race car and you know Formula Three car, and it's so hard to do it at the best of times when you're feeling mentally fresh, when you're everything's ready to go. There's no pressure. There's no expectation. You then add in, as you said, the tires the sand offline, the fact that Qatar is, is just full of flowing medium and high-speed corners, which destroy the driver's bodies and necks. That's really where the drivers took a huge punishing this weekend compared to somewhere like Singapore, which is equally as hot and humid. And, you know, it, 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 yeah, from my side, it was it's something that needs to be monitored, obviously, in the future. But, you know, it just highlights again for everyone at home and everyone watching what incredible athletes the, these drivers are. And, yeah, I think sometimes we run the risk as racing drivers. Everyone goes, "Well, you're just sitting in a sitting in a seat driving a car around. How difficult is it?" Well, this was a, a real indicator of of actually how amazing it is. So, also interesting to see how it kind of changes drivers' preparations. Obviously, when the the bar is set, we always say Singapore, Singapore, Singapore. Now we have a new precedent for what driver fitness and and you know 
um, conditioning needs to be. So let's see how that changes things uh, in the next few years. Yeah, I think uh, Albon and Stroll also really struggled just to get out of their cars at the end uh, of the race in part Ferme, just struggling to find the energy to get out um, and having Everyone to... Everyone except for Fernando busy. Alonso, though. Did you see him after the race? He was just... <laughs> he, he was, was fine. Not, he was loving life. He was just like, ah, oh, it's a bit warm, but, you know. He was really so laps. funny. He's in his 40s and, he, oh, you know, everyone else is complaining and he's just like, ah, well, you know. Top yeah. race, isn't it? Yeah, I'll do it again in a heartbeat. Yeah. Well, that's, you always see um, at these hot races, they sort of wear, are they like ice vests or something? Like how, 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 do, how do drivers cool down after a Grand Prix like that? So the whole ideology before a race is you're trying to keep your body temperature as low as you possibly can. So when you okay. see them walking around in those, those vests that they've got on, it's basically a vest that's just packed with ice. Um, so it's to keep your, your goal is to keep your, your core temp as low as you possibly can, because then that translates, obviously, you know, the drivers have the drinks bottles as well, but after five laps, it's, it's like drinking boiling water because the drinks pouch where it is, it just gets very, very hot because you're driving a race car. There's a lot of energy going through it. So, you know, it's, it's all about making sure that your hydration is spot on before the race that's done in the build up to the race weekends. That's why they all have these amazing trainers that follow them around that will literally measure to the gram, how much hydration supplement they have. And, and before a season, you know, when you're doing your testing and stuff, one of the things that doesn't necessarily get seen is, is you get tested, for example, like your sweat. So they'll, you'll train in a gym, they'll take a patch of sweat from you and they'll, uh, you know, understand what minerals you're losing, how much you need to replenish, what's more that you need to do. And then everything's literally personalized down to the ground for you to make sure that you can perform in those environments. Because uh, one of the biggest things is obviously we talk about with racing drivers, they lose a lot of body weight and sweat. And if you lose, you know, one, whatever it is, if you lose three or four kilos, that equates to somewhere in the region of about 8%, which starts to impact not only physically, but also mentally for the drivers. And it's, it's very complex. So you see them walking around with these cool vests. You see them walking around, obviously, with their trainers. They've got all their hydration supplements, their electrolytes, everything. And it, it's really about management because once you're in the car, you're going to degrade. There's nothing you can do. You just have to manage it as best you can to make sure that you prolong the degradation as, as long as possible. Wow. I mean, there's so much more than meets the eye. And there's that age old debate, as you said, it's like, oh, drivers aren't really athletes, are they? And it's like, well, it goes way beyond what you see. It's not just sitting, driving in a car. It's all of that management outside of it, body temperature, sweat, body fat, having to have muscle, but not too much muscle, because that then adds weight onto the car. But you've got to be able to, your neck's got to deal with the G-forces, right? So you've got to have some muscle there as well. So it's a real fine margin, it seems, that you've got to walk as a driver. Yeah, it's even like the imbalance between your body. So, for example, obviously your left leg is taking, uh, you know, for the, for the people at home that don't know, like race cars don't have, they don't have ABS. So when you hit the pedal, the pedals, it's like hitting a brick wall. So your left leg has to be stronger than your right leg because you have to put miles more force through your left leg than you do your right leg, which is just controlling the accelerator. So you you actually have this thing, and it, thankfully, now that I'm not racing as much, my body's now back in balance. Uh, my girlfriend's probably a bit happy about that, but my left leg used to be sort of two or three inches then bigger than my right leg because I had to carry more muscle mass on my left leg, but I couldn't afford to carry it on my right as well because I was always a driver that was super on the limit with weight limits. And as as you said, we've had that that age old debate. I think it was it was the early two thousand and tens when they brought out the new regulation of cars, two thousand fourteen ish. Mm. 2012, when drivers were actually passing out because the engineers were asking them to get so low for weight because Again, the problem is we need to be strong enough, but muscle carries weight. And you know, if and, you're, and, and if you're tall, kilo, you're screwed because you will never be as light as if you're six foot one. You'll never be as light as somebody who is your teammate, for instance, who's five foot five. 
Yeah, and ballast carries a huge advantage in motorsport because you can pack the ballast lower down, which obviously reduces your sense of gravity, which makes the car behave better. And it depends track to track, but about three kilos is somewhere in the region of a tenth of a second. And obviously the margins we're talking in Formula One, it's they're looking for thousands and hundreds. So, you know, if you have to shave your mustache to get your, your weight done you do absolutely everything i'm surprised we see racing drivers that still have four heads of hair maybe that's to come <laughs> in the future but yeah it, it's it's a relentless sport where every detail is scrutinized and actually that's that's probably part of the reason why the drivers were able to hang on to those extreme conditions because they are absolutely amazing athletes where uh, they're pushing themselves to the absolute limit every single week the WTF1 podcast will be right back but first a quick word from our sponsors at linkedin These days, every new potential hire can feel like a high-stakes wager for your small business. You want to be 100% certain that you have access to the best qualified candidates available. That's why you have to check out LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn Jobs helps find the right people for your team faster and for free. It's so easy to create a free job post on LinkedIn. Even I can do it. Then add your job and the purple hashtag hiring frame to your LinkedIn profile to spread the word that you're hiring. Simple tools like screening questions make it easy to focus on candidates with just the right skills and experience so you can quickly prioritize who you'd like to interview and hire. It's why small businesses rate LinkedIn jobs number one in delivering quality hires versus leading competitors. LinkedIn jobs helps you find the qualified candidates you want to talk to faster. Post your job for free at linkedin.com slash WTF1. That's linkedin.com slash WTF1 to post your job for free. Terms and conditions apply. Back to the show. Yeah, it really was extreme conditions there, wasn't it? They are moving. Well, it's already moved. Uh, Qatar is going to be December next year. So everyone's hoping it's going to be much cooler. It's not going to be, you know, we're not talking snow, but (laughs) I think it's going to be a bit cooler than what it was uh, Qatar in October. Um, Tell you somebody who's got it all balanced up, tied up and sewn in a nice little bow. Max Verstappen, three-time world champion. I mean... You cannot take anything away from him this year. He has literally been flawless. Even when there are races where, look at Zandvoort most recently, where, you know, rain coming down on literally the formation lap. Those are the races where, and we've had a lot of wet races this year, where mistakes can happen. You can aquaplane off and then you're a passenger. He has not had any kind of problem with that. Reliability has not touched him. And on the odd occasion where he hasn't got pole, he literally casts through the field. His race craft has been superb. There's nothing to fault Max Verstappen on this year. Yeah, I, I was having a think about this because obviously I knew that we'd be talking about it. And I was trying to think back to where we could pick fault in Max this year. And I, I just, obviously he's been in Formula One for a long time. I think people forget how long he's been in Formula One and, we went through that period where he was probably a little bit over the limit, but he came straight from FIA F3 to jump straight into a Formula One car. He's one of the only drivers who's ever really done that and just missed the traditional ladder. And, you know, what I find interesting about Max's approach is he's kind of, with all the critique and everything that he had in the early years in Formula One about him being massively over the limit, he's kind of stuck true to his his own guns and just gone, I'll get it right, don't worry. I'll be, I'll be in the window eventually. And, you know, he, he he's very, very good at, at fixing his problems faster than everyone else. And that's something that is really, you know, paid its its dividends now for him. I mean, you only have to look at, for example, street circuits. He wasn't really super, super strong at street circuits. There was a lot of mistakes. 
iron that out, bang, look at the pole position in Monaco. And it's it's almost great to look back at Max's early career because I, I look back at the mistakes he used to make and I don't see him making those mistakes anymore. It's exactly like you said. You don't see him throwing the car off. You don't see him doing erratic stuff when he's overtaking and and making you know indecisive moves or you know moves that are over the limit. Everything now is so calm and so calculated and so assertive. It's yeah. It's you have to say what a season, what a season by him and Red Bull. And as you said, no mechanical faults either. No silly penalties. No you know massive issues. And and the thing that I found the most interesting throughout the course of the year, especially at the start of the year when he's commanding a race lead to have the confidence to then go, I'm going to go take fast lap arguing with the engineers. We love it. We love a little, uh, a little Max Verstappen engineer argument, but you know, it, it, you have the confidence to be able to go, well, now I'm going to go take fast lap as well. Cause I just, I know I can do it. And that yeah. is just, again, this is the top level of motorsport and we're just watching one guy absolutely dominate and credit where it's due. You have to, you have to, you know, you have to hold your hat up to those guys and what an amazing job the whole team has done. Was it you? Was it you who said? Excuse me. A few uh, podcasts ago, that you know, if he carries on this rate, he'll become the most successful F one driver ever by the time he's thirty or whatever or something like that. I think that's the stat. If he continues on that winning rate, go with it. Sounds like something. I'll take you might it. Say. I'll say. I'll say it, it sounds like it. I, I love a bold prediction. I, yeah. I think. I think you know, for as long as the he's got the team of people around him, it's going to take someone very, very special to overthrow this dominance and. You know, you just have to look at how many races he's winning a season. If he has another season like this, he's going to approach the the, you know, the all-time win list. He's going to certainly, you know. Mm. If he continues the way he's going now, within a couple of seasons, he could well be there. Obviously, to win seven world championships is hard. It takes time. But in terms of like most wins, pole positions. Yeah, longer he seasons, can, he'll do it easily. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And, you know, even if he doesn't get there because he leaves, he has to go down as one of the sport's all-time greats because... This this level of domination is not something that happens often in sport, and you never you never really see it getting better and better and better the way it is. So, mm. yeah, regardless of the the overall number of world championships, I think Max Verstappen is going to go down as one of the best drivers we've ever seen. It's going to take something very, 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 very special to stop that. And um, somebody who can't stop him is his teammate Sergio Perez. And I wasn't going to bring Perez up because I feel like we we do talk about him a lot because he is clearly struggling at the moment. But the one thing that I thought was quite significant this weekend is the amount of penalties that he got for track limits. I think he, he picked up sort of, I think two or three, five seconds, un, unnecessary time penalties. Unforced errors. Unforced errors. Sports, but, yeah. You know, I don't want to slam him too hard because maybe he was really struggling with the conditions and, you know, there is that whole side of it as well. But I just think, you know, there's one thing to be struggling with pace, but then to just be demoted outside of the points purely because you haven't kept it within the white lines enough times that that from from a, a level that Perez is at a mature experienced fast driver that's not really on right no and I think that's the biggest issue right like if Perez was doing it to be close to Verstappen because he was laying everything on the line to try and catch his teammate you can kind of understand it but he's still just nowhere near him and I think that that's the biggest thing you're not seeing these unforced errors in a way of you know catching up to max it's more out of frustration and and lack of performance compared to max and you know a driver who's been in formula one for he's he's been there for you know well over 10 years now hasn't he yeah 2011 was his first year yeah yeah so he's been in formula one he you know he's he's been a racing driver for a very long time now the rules on track limits hasn't really changed you know what 
track limits and tails. And I, it's it's frustrating to see it because there is a real opportunity there with the package that Red Bull have got to really assert dominance on the rest of the field. And it's it's just not coming together. And, you know, we did see him at the start of the year with that flash of pace and, and that fight. And it just, it just seems like he's just lost his rhythm a bit. And obviously, like you say, we're all always very, very quick to scrutinize drivers. But again, that's part of being the best in the world. That's part of racing against the best in the world. And that's that's the pressure that racing at in the world championship winning team carries. And, you know, he's not a, he's not a, you only have to look at the performance of someone like Oscar Piastri to see that if you have 10 years, you know, look at where Piastri could be with 10 years more experience, potentially, if he keeps improving. And that's the thing where you have to say, when when's the time to give the seat to someone else? Who knows? But Perez really certainly needs to uh, to up his game. And, and yeah, it's kind of similar to a sergeant thing. You're not asking for perfection. You're not asking him to go and dominate his teammate. You're just asking him to have a trouble-free weekend where he's mm. he's where the car should be. Well, we all want Checo to do well and recapture that form from the start of the year. You mentioned Piastri. Welcome to the winner's club. I mean, technically, yeah, sprint race win. Not a Grand Prix win, but he also got second in the Grand Prix. That's his career best ever result. What a weekend for Oscar Piastri. He seems like such a character now as well. He's really come into his own. But is this gonna bring a little bit of trouble down at Team McLaren? Lando Norris was 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 beaten by his teammate fair and square this weekend the pace differential between them is 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 not a lot at all but norris made a mistake coming out of the final corner on one of his laps um he, he was asking the team to to let him through on piastri during the race to which that did not happen i think there might be fireworks there at some stage yeah 100 percent. like you, you you know it's the exact same as we've been speaking about, you can't really have your inexperienced teammate come in and start beating you consistently. And, you know, Piastri's Bill Norris is the McLaren guy and, and he, he's had so many teammates come and go, but they've all kind of beaten him, which is, I feel awful saying. The signs consistent, got the podium for McLaren. Uh, um, then who was it after that? Ricardo uh, obviously got the win in Monza. Yeah, okay, overall, Norris is better, but he still got the win. And then Piastri gets the sprint win. And I, I think the biggest issue with, with, well, first of all, let's start off with Oscar, right? When does this just become the norm? Like he, he won Frecker, he won FIA of three, he won F2. He's clearly quite good, isn't he? This guy. He's, and he, he did it. Good. Yeah. With the exception of, of Frecker, the Formula Regional Championship, he won in his second season. He won FIA of three in his first year. He won FIA of two in his first year. That's, that's unheard of. And the guy just has the mentality, clearly has the ability, has the pace. I'm loving, as you say, the personality as well. The photo after qualifying was amazing where you got the track limits penalty. It's like uh, P1, P2, P6. That was yeah. so, <laughs> the ability to like laugh at it and then go out yeah. and deliver. I find that awesome, you know, because it, it, you know, I love seeing characters in the sport as well. And even even his mum's funny on Twitter or X now, mm. whatever it's called, other social media platforms are available. But, you know, it, it's it's one of those things, isn't it, where I'm... I really love seeing drivers just embrace being in Formula One. They're not putting too much pressure on themselves. They're just enjoying the experience and making themselves better. And yeah, taking it over to the Lando Norris side of things, like you've got to feel under pressure because you can't really be being beaten. Realistically, you shouldn't be halfway through the year. And it's it's not like Piastri's had one flash of pace. He's been there and he's built 
then he's matched. Now he's beating. The next few races are critical for Lando to kind of, you know, restate his his claim for number one because, you know, Lando has the relationship with Zach Brown. They go, they've gone a long way back uh, in terms of, you know, looking after him from the, the Formula Renault days. And the problem with all of that is that F1 is based on results. And mm-hmm. if there's a driver that's clearly faster, then the camp will swing to whoever is capable of getting results and especially McLaren. They've really got this upwards momentum that they have to keep moving on because the longer they can keep it going, the more sustainable it's going to be in, in you know, the end of the season, the coming years. And we know how fragile Formula One is, especially for the like midfield to front to midfield teams. A little bit of momentum is the difference in cementing yourself and then having a great season the year after or going back and then struggling. So yeah, I'm I'm not a hundred percent certain how this is gonna go down in McLaren, but I would definitely be watching it with a with a keen eye because I don't think Lando's gonna take it lying down. Fireworks coming to the papaya orange team. Um there was fireworks in the back of the Aston Martin garage where Lance Stroll got knocked out of qualifying. Um looked like he had a little uh fracas with his uh his trainer, I think it was, or at least certainly a member yeah. of the Aston Martin team to compound a miserable weekend for, for Stroll, who might have got some points bar his own track limits penalties. Uh, and you weren't here last week, but we were discussing, um, Nicola and I, about the hypercar uh, entry that Aston Martin have with Val- with the Valkyrie, uh, the Adrian Newey designed car. Could that be a nice little get out clause for Lance Stroll and Lawrence Stroll to just sort of go, oh, you know what, how about instead of being an F1 champion, you go and do 24 hours of Le Mans. Wouldn't that be cool? And we can then, you know, we'll put Djokovic or we'll put Van Dorn in, in, in alongside Alonso and then have we'll have two cars scoring points and we won't be looking at, at a fifth place finish in the constructors. Oh, it's just... I don't like being the person that keeps having a go at drivers, but at some point, look, it, it's tough as well because obviously we're we're all scrutinizing him. As I always say, before we pass judgment, it's very easy for me to say sat here, but it's the little outbursts like that as well. That I know, I know, racing drivers they have a lot of pressure on them, but it's it's kind of telling, isn't it, how you treat those around you in those situations? I get the pressure and the emotion and everything, but it doesn't look like it's kind of under control and getting better. It looks like it's getting worse, especially if you see those outbursts in the moment. It doesn't look like there's a keen strategy to try and get better or improve. And it's it just becomes, it's exactly the same chat we just had with McLaren. You know, everything's about momentum. If you look at how strong Aston Martin were at the start of the season, well, Fernando Alonso, how strong he was at the start of the season, you need two drivers pushing each other, pushing the team forward. Otherwise, it doesn't work in this business because there's there's just too many high level teams and drivers who will just overtake you. And that's kind of what we've been seeing a little bit, you know, it's not so much. I think that potentially Alonso has gotten worse or Aston Martin's gotten worse. I think it's just others have gotten better mm-hmm. and we've discussed that before. So it's at some point you have to make the call. You've got to be, you've got to be ruthless. You've got to make the call and you've got to do what's best for the team because at the end of the day, there's, it's not just, you know, it's not just Lance. It's a huge name. It's Aston Martin. It's, it's a, you know, it's a tradition in in not only the automotive industry but in motorsport, and it's it's a huge group of people. It's a huge investment. At what point do you just try someone else, even if it's not a full? You know, like Lance steps away for a season, comes back to reserve driver, goes as you said, goes and races something else, sees if he can refine his love for the sport again. 
and give someone else a chance to see what they can do in the same seat. I think that could be a, an interesting way moving forward to see what the Aston Martin's really capable of. Well, apparently Stroll still loves the sport. Um, on, 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 our, on our BBC coverage at the weekend, Rosanna asked him, off, kind of off mic, Lance, are you, are you still happy racing in Formula 1? Like, do, you like, do you like being here? And I was like, oh, hello. <laughs> Ask it how it is. Yeah, let's um, go. <laughs> and he went, yeah, no, I love it. I'm happy. I'm having a great time. And it's like, I couldn't tell whether he was being sarcastic or not, but we'll see how that works. I, I, you know, if you look at Stroll's career, he did actually win a lot in his junior career. And I don't think... He's not a I bad was, driver. He's just no, not on Alonso's level. And he's clearly he, in a bit of a rut. <laughs> You don't win F4 and F3 by mistake. Mm. I know mm. he had Prema and he had the entirety of a team around him and he had even reference drivers to jump in and help him win races and stuff like that. You know, there was that famous race in F3, wasn't there, Paul Ricard, where Nick Cassidy was leading. And all of a sudden, Cassidy developed a problem with three laps to go and then strolled past him and then his problem miraculously fixed itself. But he was still there. Do you know what I mean? And he was racing against drivers who have gone on to have great careers or even in Formula 1 now. So... It's clear he's capable of doing it, but I, I always find like this is one of the hardest things with Formula One. You get these drivers that make it because they used to win, you know, they win in junior categories. Even if they finish fifth in the championship, they'll win two or three races a season. Then you get to Formula One and all of a sudden you have to reacquaint yourself with the idea that actually a good weekend is a fifth and a bad weekend's a twelfth. And I think for some drivers, it's very, very difficult to get yourself used to that ideology of, well, I can't win. I can't have the glory. I can't have the podium because that's what racing drivers all chase. They only want to win. They want pole mm-hmm. positions, wins, fast laps. And it's very, very easy, I think, in Formula One to get lost. I mean, you only have to look at someone like Nico Hulkenberg. You know, again, won everything underneath Formula One, still hasn't got an F1 podium. It's crazy when you think about it. And how do you reset your mind to keep driving forward year after year after year? Obviously, Stroll had that pole position as well. So he kind of, he's had a taste of what it feels like but it's just been in flashes and I would be surprised if he's, if, if I look at the way he is away, I'd be surprised if he's still enjoying the sport. Um, but maybe I'm wrong. I think only Lance will know. Only, only Lance, Lance will, will know. know. Only um, Lance will know. Yeah. Well, uh, uh, let's, uh, let's see how uh, old uh, father stroll deals with that one with the remaining races uh, to go. Uh, it was a last race though uh, for Liam Lawson. We think for for the foreseeable, uh, Daniel Ricciardo sounds like he is going to be back in for Austin, uh, not this weekend, but the weekend after. Um, so I think it was a good, good, a, a, a really good effort from from Lawson. This was a this tough weekend for him, though. Yeah, I it probably isn't the weekend he wanted to end on. No. But again, I don't think you know to come in and do the job that he's done, I don't think you can detract away from that because of one weekend where it didn't really work out. You know, he's he's done an amazing job. He's beaten Sonoda almost off the bat. No preparation, straight into Zan for no real big rookie errors with the exception of of lap one. But yeah, it's it's I think he's done a great job. I think he can hold his head up. And actually it's a real claim as to why he deserves a seat in Formula One moving forward. I'm excited to see Danny Rick come back. I want to see now having, you know, he's now seen what the car's capable of a rookie, of, you know, with a rookie in it. So what's Danny going to do? How's Danny going to react to that? Because it is it, it is a bit of a fight for the seat. And Lawson said, I'm I'm not stepping down. I'm not going back. If I come back, I'm coming back as a Formula 1 driver. So mm. let's see how Daniel Ricciardo can respond. I'm really, really keen to see if we can have the old honey budget back. 
Yeah, that will be one thing we all keep uh, an eye on, isn't it? How quickly can he get back up to speed uh, from Austin onwards and see out the uh, the last remaining laps, uh, last remaining races of the year? Um, well, that was pretty much all the all the major talking points from from the Qatar Grand Prix weekend. So that leads us nicely onto our WTF one podium to see out the show. Um, star performer, worst performer, biggest surprise performer of the Grand Prix, Callan O'Keefe. Who was your star performer? Oscar Piastri. Yeah. What yeah. a weekend. You can't, to give it to anyone else would be wrong. Just another another sensational performance and another statement as to why he's uh, going to have a long, successful career in Formula One, I think. Yeah. Um, I'm going to, I would have gone with Oscar Piastri, but I'm going to go with Max Verstappen because I think it would be criminal not to include him on the podium um, as a star performer. I think, yeah, three-time champion, Every track he can just carve through like butter. Uh, so uh, Except well done, Max Verstappen. Except Singapore, but Except then again, that was, that was Red Bull as a whole. So yeah, okay. Well, you minus Singapore, and yeah, we'll cling on to that for next year. Just waiting for the race where he finally doesn't win. <laughs> Twenty-four Grand Prix around the Marina Bay circuit next year. Um, worst performer, I'll go. Um, I think it kind of has to be... Actually, no. You know who I'm going to say? Nick de Vries. I was, think- I, was- <laughs> <laughs> I was thinking Stroll, but I thought actually his race race pace wasn't too terrible. Um, <laughs> but I'm going to go I'm gonna go with Nico Hülkenberg in the Haas. Lining up in the wrong spot on the grid oh, is a pretty rookie was- error. And uh, and unfortunately, the house has no pace anyway. He had a great qualifying. Don't get me wrong about Nico Hulkenberg, but I think he undermined it all with um, with with that silly mistake. So uh, I'm going to go with Hulkenberg on that one. Did you see him panicking in the mirrors as he realised what he had done? Like that is the worst. Of, again, and, and uh, we'll get back to the podium. But just a thing, it is quite hard to park in the grid box. I think people don't uh, you, to hit your marks is actually quite difficult to make sure you're there, and you're so zoned in and so focused. So. But still, the absolute panic in the mirrors was actually, it was quite funny to watch. But what yeah. could he have done differently, though? Because he, he was like, oh, I couldn't oh, no, reverse. At that point, you, well, you, you know, can't you're reverse. Done. Yeah, so you, you're done. you can't reverse because it's very difficult to find reverse in race cars. It's not really, the R doesn't stand for race mode. That's for sure. They don't, yeah. they're not intended to be used because if you yeah. find yourself needing to use reverse, you're in trouble. And once the first light goes on, if you move, it's considered a jump start. So you're, you, you just have to take the penalty. If yeah. I was him, I just would have gone when the first light went on, taken the drive through, built myself up a bit of a gap, just fully committed to the mistake. That's all you can yeah. do sometimes. <laughs> do a Pasta Maldonado from 2012, Belgium. Exactly. Um, so um, who was yeah. your worst performer? I'm going to say Stroll. I think yeah, just because yeah. just because of the outbursts and it just, it's not the weekend he needed with an honorable mention for Sergio Perez. He was He was up there. Yeah, I think that's uh, fair enough. Um, biggest surprise performer at the Grand Prix, though? I'm I going to say McLaren as a whole. I don't know okay. why we keep saying it. I didn't really expect... In fact, actually, I'm not going to say McLaren. I'm going to say Alfa Romeo. No, that you can't one. do that. That that's was the one. <laughs> no. As, you, as you I said, said McLaren, McLaren, I was like, I can't believe we didn't talk about... We didn't talk about Alfa Romeo getting double point. How did we not talk about this? This is ridiculous. How did we miss that? Because I was saving it for now. 
That, well, well, I was, I was going to go with Joe Guan Yu, but then both Alfa Romeos got into the points. Joe just came from the back. So they, they, they are also my biggest surprise performer. Yeah, and that is crucial because they actually overtook Haas in the constructors with that. Yeah, no, that was that was an absolutely awesome win. The most difficult in conditions as well. Mm. That's when, you know, when you're having a tough season, that's when you can really shine as a team if you capitalize on your opportunity. And yeah, well, let, let's give them the credit they deserve and let's both give them our surprise performer of the weekend. Yeah, I think well, that's done, well, well, well done, Well done. Valtteri Bottas. Grande, grande, grande. And the whole team. Um, all right, then. I think we're out of time. Uh, that was the Qatar Grand Prix. Um, what a weekend it was. <laughs> Exhausting, really. All sorts of things going on. Uh, F1 has a bit of a break and then we'll be in Austin, Texas for the US Grand Prix. And then it's a bit of a home stretch uh, to the end. Um, and we've crowned all our champions. So now it's purely for pride and for the rest of the Constructors' Championship. So that is looking quite tight. The battle for second in the drivers as well. Perez, it's not, it's not a foregone conclusion. He's going to have that in the bag, um, especially if he carries on with the way he's performing right now. Um, but in the meantime, you can make sure you're following and subscribe to the WTF1 socials and YouTube channel, as you always do. Uh, but from myself, Harry Benjamin and Callan O'Keefe, we'll see you next week. See ya. See ya.